the sun is shining and all of my favorite plant friends are popping up right now. Speaking of plants, what are you growing this year? Do you know? Do you know what kind of medicine will be in your garden? Or are you still trying to figure it out? Totally okay if you're still trying to figure it out. We're all growing and learning on this journey, right? But if you want some help, I do have a family medicine garden guides. It's basically 10 essential herbs that I feel like every mom needs to know and grow in their yard. I give you some growing tips and ways that you can use it as medicine, and it's totally free. So if you want that, I'm going to pop a link in the show notes here for you to grab it and give Get your hands digging in the dirt and growing incredible medicine for you and your family. Hello and welcome to the Herbalist Path, a podcast where you'll discover how to make your own herbal remedies at home so that you can take better care of yourself, better care of your family, and better care of our planet. I'm Mel. I'm a clinical herbalist, environmental educator, and mountain living mama with this crazy passion for teaching more mamas and their little loves how to use plants as medicine in a safe, effective, and tasty way so that there can be an herbalist in every home again. It's an absolute honor to have you on the journey down the herbalist path with me so that together, We can make herbalism. Hashtag spread like wildflowers. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Herbalist Path. I'm really, really excited and perhaps a bit giddy about today's guest. Her name is Greta Montaigne, and she is a phenomenal herbalist and healer, but also what makes me giddy and excited about her. I've been following her for many years, and she's really brilliant in the world of first aid and outdoor adventure. And she's also a fellow Volkswagen fanatic. So I love watching her and all of her adventures. She's got this sweet Volkswagen synchro. And I don't don't know if you guys know this about me, but I've been a VW nerd all my life. I rebuilt my own engines when I was 16 and traveled across the country in one that I rebuilt from the ground up. So seeing your adventures in Volkswagens and outdoorness is is a total inspiration to me. So thanks for being here, Greta. I'm, I'm super excited to chat with you. Yay. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're so welcome. So when I watch you and learn from you and all of the things that happens in the world of social media and stuff, I'm often really inspired about the little bits of the story that I see of you. And I would love to hear a little bit about like your beginnings, your beginnings in the world of plant medicine and how how that started. Sure. Um, so my grandmothers were both, um, living on the land, both my sets of my grandparents homesteaded. So I learned a lot from both my grandmothers. One was a weaver and one was a, you know, Wyoming gal who grew up in the snow. And, um, anyway, they were just really into, um, living sustainably as much as they could off the land. And, um, one set was really into Helen and Scott Nearing who wrote the good life. It was about, um, you know, they lived on the land for like 60 years, Um, and, uh, both were fine woodworkers into the shaker movement. And so just, you know, kind of just grew up with that simplicity notion of like, 
um, use what's at hand. And, um, but then specifically, um, I um, kind of bounced out of college and decided I wanted to go a different route and um, started taking some brain tanning classes with my high school friend, Tom Elpel, who was starting up the Holotop Outdoor Primitive School at the time. He's famous in our herbalist world now because of his botany in a day book that we all love. Um, Anyway, so I was one of his first students and um, studying brain tanning with him. And then he brought on in Robin Klein to teach uh, um, botany. She did a plant walk in a botany class. And I remember at the end of that amazing plant walk in the... um, at the base of Holotop Mountain in the bit, uh, I remember her having a medicinal plants of the Mountain West guidebook on the t- picnic table as we were just chatting. I was like, oh, what's this? <laughs> oh, this is Michael Moore. Oh, well, he has a school. <laughs> and so that hooked me. And I um, moved down to New Mexico to study with Michael Moore and uh, moved down there in 1990 and went to school in 91. So that's, you know, the root of my beginnings. But my one grandmother was really into Robert Rodale. So she had a lot of his books and um, she was just really into, you know, natural healing, and all the recipes. It was the 70s. The health movement was burgeoning. And um, and we spent a lot of time expeditioning in the woods. So I just, you know, grew up from a small child um, trying to learn more about the natural world around me and, and like, you know, what you can use locally. Like when grandmother taught me how to use pine pitch to fix ski bindings. <laughs> That's exciting. I love that. I've, I've seen some pictures of you, like with your parents carrying you on their cross country skis. And I'm like, Oh, the dream life. I love it. Um, and what legends you've learned with like Robin and Tom, both very famous in the herbal world for their incredible brilliance and knowledge and Michael Moore. So I never got to study with Michael Moore, but a lot of my herbal teachers did. And so I always hear the stories of Michael Moore and it's so fascinating. And I would love to hear a little bit more about him and your learnings with him and that kind of stuff, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, one of my most blazing memories was just being aghast in the middle of class. Like, I can't believe I'm paying like five grand. I'm getting like a $30,000 education here and just thinking like, this is amazing. The amount of information that he was imparting and just his brilliance and his dedication and um, just this like very um, tangibly, almost physical effort of of reviving Western herbalism of like reaching back over the decades to like hoist it back over the gap between the oppression between the thirties and the seventies. Like Mm -hmm. it was a pretty big deal. And just to like get my mind wrapped around like, Oh, all these plants I'm studying about, of course they were in the U S pharmacopoeia. Like this is crazy that they're, you know, and I was really um, involved with earth first at the time. And um grew up in the wilderness movement. I'm third generation environmental activist. And so that was a big piece for me too, just his passion and commitment to um, dedicating um, time to preserve the land, to preserve the environment. And uh, really appreciated his approach to um, how we harvest plants and, um, you know, making um, good choices along the way and and keeping things simple. Mm -hmm. I, love that on so many levels. Like the whole reason I got into herbalism is because I was a backpacking guide and wilderness therapist. And that's like where my start was. And I was frustrated with people putting toxic, nasty crap on their bodies and polluting our planet 
when there were plants we were walking by in the wilderness, they were paying me to take them by that we could have used. So that's, I love to hear that. And it's part of what has always inspired me. Like, I got to get to know Greta more. (laughs) I got to work with Greta in some way, shape or form because your work is fascinating and fantastic. And and I'm going to bring up something that may (laughs) ruffle some feathers out there. You talked about how you paid five grand to learn from Michael Moore, but you were really getting a third 30 grand education. And I firmly believe that's a 30 grand education. Um, I'm, I'm way too active on social media these days. And the expectation is that it's all for free. And there's so much work and wisdom and knowledge that goes in there. And that's time. And that's energy. And that's like, unfortunately, that's how we live in our society today. So I don't know if I really have a question about that or if I'm just bringing it up like, yeah, it's really valuable information that can save your life, that can save others' lives, that can keep you healthy and well. Um, And that really needs to be revived for the betterment of our poor, precious planet that needs us. Yeah. And it's not something that can be owned, you know, just the whole concept of buying and selling and trading, you know, the commodification of of these plants that grow freely that were, you know, put here for us. Like, it's just kind of mind boggling to think about capitalizing on something that comes so freely from the earth. And yeah, so definitely a big conversation around medicine and how we approach medicine and the Western allopathic, um, you know, the $400 military hammer kind of idea of like how expensive all these drugs are and how much money the um, drug companies are making. And, um, but yeah, in our own herbal movement, I think that's something we need to look at really carefully and and be careful as we continue to move forward. I mean, the herbal industry is still growing by leaps and bounds every year. Absolutely. Hands down. So another thing that we talked about before we actually hit record on this podcast is that you're doing a lot of work with Michael's work and the Southwest School of Botanical Studies. Can you just, I know everything's not quite ready yet, but I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're doing there. Sure. Well, I mean, Michael, I remember in my class, actually in the spring of 91, I think he bought his first computer. I remember he came back from his lunch at Arby's and he announced that he'd bought his first Mac and we were all like, what? Um, So, you know, over the course of the next 12 computers, he basically downloaded his brain and all his knowledge about plants um, onto this website. And um, so, you know, he is one of the first people that recorded all these texts, like they went to the Lloyd Library when they were being, um, they were doing a big clean out and like, saved a lot of these old texts. And he was a printer in his early life. So he, um, you know, he caught, he was really passionate about copying this information. And so um, we would get these mimeographed, um, like the British Pharmacopoeia and like, you know, it was all um, these printed manuals um, that were not obtainable any way else, except for him just printing them off and um, reproducing them that way. So um, all this information is stored now on this vast website that he's built. So we're making an effort to try to update it and make it more navigatable for the modern eye. It's, um, you know, lost in the early nineties in the HTML <laughs> language. So, um, we've hired a company to help us update it and, and just make it more user-friendly. And, and, um, Donna, Donna, his widow is, his wife is really 
committed and passionate about making sure that this information remains freely available to all, that she really firmly believes that that was the point of his mission was to make sure that people have access to this information, right? Because that's what they tried to underground us, the allopaths, you know, the, the <laughs> underground, the the wisdom and the knowledge and and keep the information away. Mm-hmm. So, that's, that's exciting. Kind of I'm, I'm hopefully go ahead. Sorry. Fine. <laughs> I'm really familiar with that site. And I think putting it stuck in the nineties is a, is a very good way of putting it. So I'm really excited to see how you bring it together to be more appealing to our very spoiled modern eyes. I'm also curious, like, since you did get to work with Michael a lot, and we did go through that whole suppression of like, hey, don't let the people know that these plants can can heal you because otherwise these big pharmaceutical gurus or giants are not going to profit so well. How do you how did Michael learn all of this huge wealth of information? Um, You know, just partly um, listening and learning with um, people around him. And um, I think that there was a strong movement of people coming together. You know, he started in Topanga Canyon. I think in the late sixties, there was a lot of um, just a lot of things happening (laughs) in the (laughs) radical underground counterculture movement. And I imagine that he was called upon a lot to, um, maybe help fix people who couldn't afford to go to the doctor or, you know, people who were overdosing or whatever. He had one of the first, um, he had a little shop up in Topanga Canyon, I think a little kind of roadside shop. So he was taking care of the biker gangs and, um, uh, yeah, it just, um, I want to save some of that information for hopefully his biography to come out. Um, we're working on that as well. Um, but, um, just, you know, he was a sponge. He was very smart guy and, um, super big sponge and just soaked it all up. Awesome. I love that. It's once you start diving into it, it becomes so fascinating that you want to continue to soak and soak and soak. So yeah, I I love that. Um, so we'll shift away from Michael, but it's, it's great to hear your stories. And I know you're doing so much close work with all the work he's done and that's, paved the path to who you have become today and what you have done. So if I'm correct, you do a lot of body work, right? And you do a lot of work in activism and using your skills as a healer to help people on the front lines of all kinds of situations. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the work that you do in that realm. I wanted to take a quick pause to show some love and gratitude to our sponsors of the Herbalist Path podcast, who make this show possible for me and possible for you too. So here it goes. I love this time of year. It's spring, the sun is shining, and all of our beautiful plant friends are popping up. It's amazing. Unless, of course, you're one of the millions of people who suffer from seasonal allergies. You know, the itchy, watery eyes, the sneezing and wheezing that's straight miserable. 
Thankfully, there are some amazing herbs that can help you with all of that. Just like the herbs inside of Kickass Allergy from Wish Garden Herbs, one of my absolute favorite herbal companies out there. Kickass Allergy, yes, I said ask without the K at the end. Anyways, this formula has yerba santa, nettles, echinacea for that immune support, and orange peels, all which come together to help dry up those excessive mucosal secretions. Yep, I'm talking about the sniffles and the stuffy nose, the watery eyes, and all that jazz. This blend also acts as a great expectorant and can help ease the swelling and inflammation in those mucosal tissues. It is a top go-to for seasonal allergies. And get this, they combine all those beautiful herbs with glycerin, so it actually tastes pretty darn good. Or should I say it tastes kick-ass without the K at the end. Anyways, if allergy season is miserable for you and you want a natural remedy that actually works for those itchy eyes and being all sneezy and wheezy, you have got to check out Wish Garden Herbs Kick Ask Allergy. And for those of you with the little kiddos, no sweat, they've got a kick it allergy too. And you pregnant mamas? You don't have to suffer either. They've got a kick-ass allergy formula just for you. So head over to wishgardenherbs.com or check out the link in the show notes and go grab yourself some kick-ass allergy so you can enjoy spring again. Okay. Um, well, I'm not as super activist as I was, um, on the front lines, but, um, yeah, I I went to my first, um, you know, road blockade when I was 10 years old, I grew up in the Montana wilderness movement under tables, licking stamps, um, testifying at hearings from a very young age. Um, and, um, my mother was really involved with getting, um, a pretty significant chunk of wilderness designated, um, near big sky resort. Um, and, um, so yeah, when I moved to the Southwest, I helped start what's now the center for biological diversity. So we were pretty involved with listing petitions, um, realizing that that was a really excellent way to preserve and protect habitat, to use the strong hammer of the law by getting species, um, identified and protected. And um, Michael was very supportive of our work there. We started out as the Greater Gila Biodiversity Project. And, you know, he was in Silver City in New Mexico, Albuquerque. So it was very central to um, his his passion for that landscape. Um, and then from there, I studied with Dr. Vassant Laud. I wanted a little bit broader picture of assessment because I didn't really feel like the Western constitutional model was giving me everything I needed. There was this component missing. I realized it was the spiritual component. So Ayurveda really looks at the body, mind, and soul, the spirit, you know, so that was really important to me. And also just learning more about routines and kitchen medicine. And that's really what Ayurveda is. It's like the medicine of the people. And so then from there, I felt like a lot of these people I was working with, I could give herbs to till we were both blue in the face. And what they really needed was a good massage. And because I'd grown up ski racing, I was a Nordic ski racer and I was competing internationally before I decided to dive into the world of herbalism and move to the desert. I I had a lot of just experience and knowledge with physical body, soft tissue injuries, 
you know, I grew up mountain bike racing and had a rodeo horse. And so just treating myself for lots of soft tissue injuries, um, built my knowledge in first aid there. And so I went to Hartwood Institute in um, Northern California, and that was right at the center of the headwaters controversy the Headwaters Forest. So 96, 97, that was right when things were really going down. Charles Hurwitz was trying to liquidate the last of the Redwood Forest. And so I would come down to the base camp to do my student massage hours to get experience. And so that gave me even more experience working with sprained ankles, you know, people running from the cops in the woods and, and then just looking at the organizers too, and how stressed out they were and realized like, oh, I can actually be more effective if I can support the people who are on the phones 24 seven and doing the legal work. And like, so I would go into the heart of the environmental protection information center's office and give body work and offer adaptogenic blends or teas or just, you know, support that way. So kind of like really when I started identifying myself as like the movement medic, (laughs) I love that title, the movement medic. (laughs) Great. No one else was really around to do it. There was like one other person that I identified who had like taken an EMT class. So we really didn't really have much backup. Yeah. And my yeah. my grandfather's was um, Grand Teton National Park's first climb ranger. So both my grandfathers were in the 10th Mountain Division, but the, you know, mountain rescue was like a really big part of my growing up. So I think I really identified with that. I, for some reason, never went onto the ski patrol myself, but I probably would have. (laughs) I love these stories. It's all like, I love that you have such deep roots with your family in all of this and such deep roots, like as a girl who lives in the mountains too, and loves skiing and mountain biking, like that's fun. I didn't grow up with it around me though. It's like, I, I was drawn to it in my early twenties and, um, it's super fun and fascinating for me to hear your story and how you made such a mission out of the background too. Like, it's great. Thank you. (laughs) Number one, thank you for (laughs) all of the time and dedication you've put into your learning and sharing this wisdom with people. Cause you do share a lot of your wisdom with people also, like you teach, like you, you do so many things, right? Yeah, I went from being a forest medic to jumping to hold down the first aid clinic at the World Trade Organization protest when we did the Seattle shutdown in 1999. So that really launched me into this realization of like, oh my gosh, we got to train more people in wilderness first response because we had all these street medics running around who didn't know enough about how to package a patient. You know, we were basically in a wilderness situation because we had shut down the city and the ambulances weren't coming into Pike Place Market to pick up our patients. So we really needed to bump up our skill level. So I immediately started putting on wilderness first responder courses for activists with a two days um, at the end of it for chemical weapons training. And then I started doing herbal first aid also at the end of that because you know, a lot of these folks were also working at the height of the, you know, defense of the Pacific Northwest forest in particular. And then we had a lot of native land rights, occupation campaigns going on. There was big mountain. There was the struggle to defend Mount Graham. So, you know, people were really involved in environmental and social justice that, that I wanted to support. Hmm. I love this. <laughs> I love it so much. I've always like, before I really knew who you were, I was like, I want to put together a wilderness first responder course with herbs, you know, and that's what you've done, which is it's a really natural fit. And I think it gives people this um, skill and presence to be um, empowered. And I think that's something yeah. that herbalists often lack is to have some of those first 80 type skills to 
um, kind of buck themselves up in a traumatic situation be like, we can do this. Like the herbs are there. Um, but you know, we also need these other EMS skills to help us stay present, learn to breathe, you know, assess the scene safety, like all of those kind of wilderness skills. You're one of those people. I feel like I just want to like hang out in your back pocket and just be like, where's Greta going? What can I learn from her? How much, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, because there is so much to be said about, you know, assessing that the safety of a scene and being able to remain calm when maybe the person you're working with is far from calm. Like, how do you make wise, rational decisions? I just remember when I did my wilderness first responder through Knowles, like that part of the training, it was all acting, but it was really fun for me. <laughs> I loved yeah, it. Build, I love the scenario trainings to build the muscle memory. I think it's really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you did all of that really rad and amazing stuff. And you have helped what thousands of people through that, I would imagine. And no, we had like 600 people a day coming through our janitor closet clinic in the convergence space in Seattle. Yeah, it was something else. Yeah. Wow. So that that's amazing. Um, (laughs) it, it, It blows my mind and fascinates me really. I'm like, why wasn't I hanging out with you in the 90s? Um, but here I am in 2023 on a podcast with you. Um, what are you doing these days? I know you're working on on getting Michael's site up and ready. And I know you're cruising through Montana and going back and forth in your your bus with your puppies and all that kind of stuff. But what are you what else are you doing? Um, I'm really into ancestral arts gatherings right now. I've I've been running the first aid clinic for the Buckeye gathering for a number of years. And that's just something that's really exciting me right now. Um, I love putting my herbal first aid skills to use in that kind of environment where we're, you know, we're like somewhat safe at a campground. Um, but then you're, it's like a a scenario training, basically it's Mm -hmm. like a, a week long scenario training. Plus I just love learning how to make baskets and um, work with hides and just really creative and make things. It's a really sweet group of people. And um, we're actually trying um, to diversify our attendees in the next five years. We're trying to get more black people to feel welcome to come onto the land and um, more BIPOC herbalists to come work with us and um, just try to really um, diversify the event significantly. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I think it's really important to get more black people, um, involved with plants and being on the land and feeling safe. And there's all these pieces about, um, trees and lynching and, um, all of those barriers that keep them from feeling comfortable to be in the woods. And so, um, that's something I'm particularly passionate about. And then I just growing herbs for my apothecary and making medicine. That's like occupies a lot of my time back home. Um, Finally, my gardens are like 18 years old now. So I'm finally starting to really see production. The abundance is really, the output is finally where it's sustainable um, for my apothecary, seeing clients and doing body work when I can. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Where is the land that these events are happening, these ancestral events? 
It's on Mountain Maidu territory at um, this place called Lake Concow. It's up above Paradise. So it's right in the heart of the campfire. We actually lost our whole kitchen and um, infrastructure. So I used to have this cute little yurt to work in and that's all gone. So the whole place just burned in that giant devastating fire that raced through Paradise some years ago. Mm-hmm. So we actually haven't had the event. We held it for the first time last year. It's always around early May, around Beltane. Um, nice. That was the first one in four years because of the fire. And then closely after the fire was the pandemic. Yeah. So much tragedy and shift in life has happened. Yeah. And since kind of getting time. going again. But it's also cool because this cl- he, fire just, you know, came through and like, now the the Maidu are really committed to putting fire on the landscape every year. And we had a burn in the middle of the camp last year. It was so cool. We burned all of the pine, um, all of the uh, ponderosa pine duff mm. with like 300 people there on site, like raking and burning. It was just super cool. <laughs> that sounds really cool. And I bet it smelled pretty darn good too. <laughs> like, ooh, that's lovely. That's, that's amazing. I love hearing that. Um, gosh. You have, there's so many stories I could roll with from here. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Um, I know you're coming to teach first aid in Apothecary Mamas in May, which I'm super excited about. I took a first aid class with you at Oshala or Farm a couple of years back, which was great. And then I hung out a few times at your first aid tent in, at Brighton Bush a few times, which is super duper fun. Um, I do have a question. I'd love to somehow get some of my stuff from when I ran my product line to you and for you to use it. For yeah, we love whatever. using your teas. I think <gasps> I have some in my kit from your last donation. Ah, nice. <laughs> well, I have ample to donate now because I was uh, I, I quit that part of what I do so I could focus on education and sharing what I know, um, which I wouldn't know if it weren't for brilliant people like you and other educators and things like that. So um, yeah, I'd love to get some of that stuff to you. Um, do you, I know you, teach like at at Oshala Herb Camp. Are you doing any other teaching events coming up? Yeah, I'm I'm teaching for Green Path Herb School right now. They're in Missoula. And I'm teaching some classes for Land of Verse coming up. Um, Laura Ash, who runs Scarlet Sage Herb Herb Company. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I teach occasionally at the Northern California Women's Herbal Symposium, and I have taught at the Brighton Bush Conference, which is um, amazing. And I've been going to Brighton Bush since 92. There was actually a lot of my early, really influential teachers were from going to the Brighton Bush Herbal Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the conference that stemmed me on my like really said, okay, this is what you're doing. I, I went there kind of on a whim. You know, I'd been identifying trees and shrubs and learning about them through being outdoors and whatnot. And I was like, I'm going to go to this herb conference. And I left that like, oh, (laughs) this is what I'm here to do. It's a magical, magical time. So yeah, definitely has been my favorite conference over the years to go to for sure. Just a really great combination of um, down to earth, simplified, um, basic stuff for lay people, beginners, but then also like a good time for the really advanced pro herbalists to have a break and get to soak and hobnob with each other and just have great side chats at the dinner tables. Like that's some of my favorite part, geeking out with each other and 
yeah. epic healing waters with amazingly beautiful healing people and healing land. Like you really just yeah. can't go wrong with that one for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so some of my listeners, they might just be getting into the world of plant medicine. And I know you've been doing this for a very, very long time, but do you have any words of wisdom for them as they just start on this path? Um, read, mm. <laughs> read the old books, look into the old texts. Um, yeah, just try to read as much as you can and try to be, um, really observant and, and like learn ways to really increase your awareness when you're out in the wild, especially, um, learn to grow. If you can learn to grow and cultivate all the herbs, I'm pretty passionate about reducing our impact on the wild plants right now. The drought is extreme and prolonged in the Western U S and, um, you know, the worst since the 1200s. So, um, I think we really need to get real with our impact on the land. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm pretty passionate about thinking that everyone should be growing their own herbs and making their own medicine and, and then dispensing that to the people that like plant to the hand to the person, I think is super important. Mm -hmm. I realize that not everybody can do that. Obviously, if you're in the city, you can't just give people the dandelions that are growing through the cracks in the concrete. Um, it's a little, maybe a little harder to be an urban herbalist, but there's so many great um, trade exchanges and, you know, collaborate ways to collaborate and trading herbs back and forth to reduce costs. Yeah. Um, I love that. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about wild crafting. I know it's all the rage today and um, I think a little bit of aware, more awareness needs to be brought up. Like you're saying, like we need to preserve this land. And, you know, when I was first taught, it was you know, you can find your stand and you create a relationship with it. You come back there the next year before you even harvest and you learn your plant ID and you learn the optimal times to harvest these plants. And, you know, maybe you take a quarter of a stand and um, if that, you know, and now it's to the day where social media is here and it's so popular and people are often showing their pictures of giant baskets saying, I just harvested this plant and it's not the plant that they think they harvested and they're also saying so what do i do with it well harvesting a plant in great abundance when you don't know what to do with it like did, did you need that much i just i just see this and and i worry about our earth i worry about our land i worry about making sure that these plants are available for so many future generations to come and i'd love to just talk a little bit more about that right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where, you know, directing people towards Robin Klein, who's doing some excellent online offerings for plant identification and Tom Elpel, who's doing extended um, field botany classes and Seven Song as well, like um, really directing people towards those kinds of educational opportunities to learn how to identify exactly and, and like, how to assess the health of a wild stand. And then also like learning what the analogs are. Like you can substitute OSHA root with Ella campaign and maybe, you know, another lung herb like thyme. Like mm -hmm. those two together can really almost do what OSHA can do. Mm -hmm. um, 
and being yeah. aware of like the 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 at riskness of some of these plants like osha you know instead of yeah, just like no, oh, I, I heard it's great medicine let's take it all Exactly. I, I think we could be pushing United Plant Savers work a little harder out there on the social media channels just to make sure there's more awareness around the need to check that first, make sure people know how to check the IUCN's red list for endangered species. Um, you know, we'd be talking more about the biodiversity cascade that we're experiencing. We're in the Anthropocene. Um, we're seeing um, a lot of populations, birds, mammals, plants, you know, there's, we're, we're in a collapse right now. (laughs) And, uh, I think that really needs to be daylighted some more. Um, and yeah, us humans need to survive and the plants are here for us too, but I think we can do a lot of that with, um, plants that are less, um, how do you say it popular or just, you know, there's this popularization of herbs that are like really strong. And some of this is from the heroic paradigm, right. That the AMA pushes and just how we're, our brains are kind of um, polluted by allopathy in that way of like, you know, it has to be really strong. You have to like feel it like, Oh, I can sense that. Well, that's not always the case. And as I age as an herbalist, I'm learning to appreciate more and more the really simples, the St. John's wort, the chamomile, the plantain, the really suit, you know, I've gone from like, Oh, I know 400 plants and I, you know, all these really powerful ones that have like drug-like interactions, like, well, is that really what the body needs? Like, um, really finding the essence of like what's happening with your client, with your patient right now. Um, I'm recalling something that Terry Willard said it's um, when I was in one of his classes about, he was talking about Edward Bach's um, rescue remedy formula and how, um, you know, it was a great formula, but it was developed over a hundred years ago. And there was different things happening on the planet then. And he was just really kind of opening my mind, like, Oh, we don't have to be stuck in this paradigm of like, what rescue remedy should do or does, but like we can open up to think about how we can make a new rescue remedy for this time on earth right now. And so he was really talking about pink yarrow is something he and his students worked a lot with to identify as like a perfect plant kind of for this moment. (laughs) Maybe they have since identified a new one, but um, you know, this moment of anxiety on this planet where I think we are really feeling what's happening to the earth. Mm-hmm. whether we're cognizant of or not, not everybody has the capacity to like think outward on that big of a scale um, to kind of grok like what we're up against with this massive climate change um, that is happening. <laughs> yeah, that's a great perspective. I didn't think about with the, with the rescue remedy and it being formulated a hundred years ago and times are significantly different now. So that's yeah, really fascinating. Might, and I didn't think about like, Go ahead. I'm sorry. There might be other plants that want to come through. So I think just always being opening our minds and consciousness to be willing to communicate with the plants. Because really, our bodies know how to do all these things, right? But the plants are kind of like note cards coming through us, like do this, do that. Like the plants really just want to get to these thumbs. That's my opinion. Mm, They do. They're talking to you. They want to do their work in the world through our hands. Sure. (laughs) Did you notice me? Like, I love that. Um, I think it's that I, uh, one of the stickers I got from United Plant Savers, like if you listen, they will teach you. And that is so fantastically true. I've definitely experienced that numbers of times where, oh, you really are talking to me. (laughs) Like you're saying, hey, I'm right here for you. Um, 
I'm curious about Pink Yarrow and and what makes it a great herb for now. Um, well, just going back to what Yarrow is, I mean, if I had to go to the deserted island and I can only bring three things, <laughs> Yarrow might be on that list. Um, you know, it's such a broad range of applications. We can use it for dental. Michael Moore, that was one of his first herbs that he ever met. He put some yarrow in a whiskey bottle for a tooth problem and it sat on the piano. Um, it's great for fevers, super useful for children and adults alike. And it's super drought tolerant, can grow anywhere. It's easily to cultivate. It's easy to find in the wild. So in my mind, those are the parameters for what makes a really solid herb um <laughs> drought tolerant being at the top of the list lately <laughs> yeah <laughs> even though you guys just got well you know pollinators love it it makes a beautiful dried herb if you want to make bouquets um but the the pinkness i think is just sort of more talking about the um the heart chakra and um just that maybe that some of that softness that we need to approach in the world we need to learn to be more soft mm. Yeah. Softness sounds lovely in these days because things have been hard for so many. So yeah. I love that perspective. I love yarrow, obviously. For me, one thing I love to see, like I grow yarrow and the yarrow in the wild though, like the, the fragrance and the energetics of it are like nothing that I can produce in my own garden. Um, so I always just embrace that and, you know, harvest a very tiny amount when I'm out in the wild because it's it's so powerful and it's so beautiful but more often than not that's one of those things like when I go on a camping trip I'm searching the whole campground for it because I know that it's inevitable somebody's going to need yarrow on this journey so um it's done some pretty powerful things for me and my friends and family and avoided a few trips to the hospital and the ER a number of times yeah. so it's pretty, pretty amazing herb, especially for first aid. <laughs> you know? my, my eyes always look for plantain just because I treat so many knife wounds at these primitive skills gatherings. Yeah. So wherever I go, I'm always just find myself, oh, here I am. I'm looking for plantain again. Even, yeah. Even on the taiga in Northern Mongolia, every time we'd stop, I'd look around for where's the plantain. Yeah. That's another one that I, I love to share with so many people. It's, it's, one of my favorite herbs. And I think that's one of the, like you, you talked about coming back to the basics of herbs and some of the ones that are more well-known and standard and maybe not considered so powerful and drug-like. And that's one thing that I think is incredibly beautiful is like chamomile and plantain and yarrow. In our society and culture, we tend to look at an herb like echinacea and say, oh, that's the immune stimulant. Yes, it's great for that, but there are so many other ways more often than not that you can use one plant. And I find that to be one of the more empowering things for people to do, because then you aren't going out to try and find all the other super powered herbs, but you can have a really effective apothecary with 5, 10, 20 herbs that you can do so much for your family. I think that's yeah, it really comes empowering. down. It is totally empowering and it really comes down to formulating and learning how to make a good tea blend. Mm. Amen. <laughs> formulating is one of my like greatest joys and I, I love it. And um, I love to share that too. Sometimes I'm like, well, I can teach how to formulate, but I also 
spent a long time as a bartender. So that got Comes me easy. through. <laughs> What's that? That comes easy then. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can I teach that? (laughs) Can I, cause I I like to make medicine that tastes great too. I think it, it's a lot um, easier to get people to take it and make it part of their daily lifestyle that way. So yeah, uh, it's a fun and important skill. And yeah, you're right. It does. It does come down to formulating. And when you can look at like, okay, what am I trying to do with this blend? Number one, who am I helping with this blend? What do we need to have happen? And how many different, how many different things happening within this one person can we help Exactly. This blend, you know, and that's why our powerhouses like Calendula and St. John's Ward and Yarrow are such great center pieces because they do these six different things. Yeah. Really understanding all the energetics and actions and contraindications of each herb is really important. Absolutely. Herbalist to to really um, memorize. You got to memorize all that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Until it just becomes almost in intuition, innate knowing in there, like, Oh yeah, no, I think it's way more valuable to know six to eight herbs through and through really, really well than it is to know 300 individual herbs for all these different specific things. It took me a couple decades to kind of come back to center on that. Like, Oh, I know all these 300 different herbs and all these different actions, but that's a lot of mixing and matching for, you know, for a client. So, but if you have really good, solid and strong grounded knowledge and just six herbs and you're well on your way. Amen to that. I think that is super duper well said. I find that I talk about so many of the same herbs in all the lessons I teach. And I'm like, you know, this could sound repetitive, but it really needs to, because you can use catnip over here and catnip over there and catnip over there. And when you start to recognize that it's Again, I, I use the word empowerment over and over, but it really is incredibly empowering. And from an ecological perspective, I really like to encourage people to use the herbs that are at hand, what grow mm-hmm. from your area. I think it's really important to drink the water from where you come and to really fully be in your environment. The herbs are going to be there to help counterbalance the effects of that environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're so right there. Do you, do you want to like, that was just beautiful. And I'm like, Ooh, can you say more on that? I mean, I guess you just kind of stated it, but. Yeah. From a broader ecological perspective, you know, reducing your fossil fuel carbon footprint by not importing herbs from really far away. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really important. And just also then you're just tuning into the essence of the land. You're more fully in the landscape because you're using the medicine plants that are there. I think that's one of the greatest benefits to to using plant medicine is that nature connection. Like yeah. So many of us in our society today are lacking that. And man, if that's not the most healing thing for me beyond any of the plants, like just time and nature solves all the sh- beep shit, you know, <laughs> like I could just go outside and sit there. Even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, if I'm really lucky, it's all day. And it makes all of whatever may have been troubling for me just a little bit easier to deal with. So yeah, that connection is is quite a gift. So um, before we got into wildcrafting, you recommended people get books and read. And I definitely agree. I'm an herb book nerd and cannot stop collecting and collecting. And that's for sure how I started getting into all of that kind of stuff. Um, 
I would love to hear if you have some recommendations on a book or several books or anything along those lines for people to get started with. Sure. Um, well, some of my early influences were um, like Rosemary Gladstar's Herbal Healing for Women. That was a, an early influence book. Also, Dr. Lod's Science of Self-Healing. It's really full and complete. Um, and then... Um, you know, of course, I already mentioned Botany in a Day is a really good book. Um, and his his card game is amazing, too. The Sean Leia's Quest is great for um, learning the plant families. My kids learned botany before I did because they played that game or they learned it better than me because they um, had that card game to play a lot. Um, and then, of course, Michael Moore's um, Field Guides, his um, he's got Desert and Canyon West, the Mountain West and the Pacific Northwest. Um, and then... Um, um, is it Stephen Foster who wrote the um, the Eastern Guide for the Eastern Plants, the Field Guide? Mm-hmm. Um, and then lately, like for beginning herbalists, I've been recommending the Firesider book. Um, so I, w- I went to the Firesider trial to testify in federal court for Firesider, so I'm pretty passionate about that recipe. And um, one of my classmates, Cammie McBride, she wrote The Herbal Kitchen, which is a really um, great entry-level kitchen, which book like medicine from your home, like how you can bring herbal medicine into your home and um, take care of your family and friends. Um, and then most recently, uh, Krista Sinodinos's book, her essential guide to Western botanical medicine is an absolute tome. That um, is gold. <laughs> probably the best textbook right now on the market. So um, really beautifully done, well put together, gorgeous photos. The text is really wealth. I mean, she spent a decade working on this book and it shows she it really shows. put a into it. Um and um, another influential book for me was um, Jeannie Rose's Herbal Body Care. That was like, you know, facial scrubs were some of my first recipes I ever made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of my first books I have. I have it sitting right here. I have a lot yeah. of these books that you've mentioned, but it's, I love its old schoolness about totally. it. You know, <laughs> totally. Those are amazing recommendations. Um, and Krista's work is phenomenal. Um definitely a little bit more of an advanced book and amazing, but can also take a beginner on the fast track, you know? So yeah. Great reference. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Amazing. Those are, those are so many good ones. And I love that you're teaching at green path too. That's really, really wonderful. Um, Goodness. Okay. So here comes the impossible question to answer. And you may have spoke a few of them already, but if there were, you already said yarrow, but if <laughs> there was still only one herb that you could take or, you know, the one herb that you think everybody should know. How about that? We'll rephrase it. Yeah. Well, the first question is everybody where, right. <laughs> and I know that this particular plant doesn't grow everywhere. So try to, you know, accommodate that in my mind. But the factors for me are, is it easily cultivated? Is it drought tolerant? Is it inexpensive or free? Is it accessible? Um, how many uses does it have? How many contraindications does it have? How many people might have allergies to it? 
Um, so those are kind of like my base factors for that recommendation. That said, in all my years of doing herbal first aid, I think I would insist on my small vial of lavender essential oil. <laughs> it kills staph. It kills MRSA, which is, um, you know, becoming more prevalent in our society. Um, they're starting to use it now again in hospitals for surface um, disinfecting because none of the chemicals they've developed are able to kill some of these mutating and adapting um, bacteria and viruses. So um, I think lavender is still continuing to be my numero uno there. I love that. Nobody really ever says lavender. I think because of, I don't know why nobody says it because it is incredible in so many different ways. And it's a very popular... There's like 325 species of lavender. Like the book on lavender is like three inches thick. Yeah. And it just, it has so much to offer. And gosh, if there's not much that brings more joy to the, to my brain than frolicking through a giant field of lavender, (laughs) like listening to the helicopter buzz of the bees all around me and their happiness. It's a great plant for pollinators too. Mm -hmm. So it's a great one to cultivate in your gardens if you can. Yeah. I love that. Amazing. Okay. So you've shared a ton with us. I'm I'm super grateful. Thank you very much. If anybody wants to get a hold of you or find out what you're up to or take a class with you, any of those kinds of things, where can they find you? Um, I have a website. It's um, gentlestrengthbotanicals.com. And then um, the collective I founded is called the MASH Clinic with two H's and that's M-A-S-H-H clinic, um, www.mashclinic.com. So, um, and both of those um, have a Gmail address too. If you want to contact me directly, it's just gentlestrengthbotanicals at gmail.com. And um, yeah, just kind of popping in um, my offerings um, wherever I can, teaching and um and then this new brave new world of online teaching, which I think is hope, hopefully making herbalism more accessible to more people. Yeah. And I do take on um, apprentices and interns. I've had several apprentices that have stayed with me for seven years. Mm-hmm. And then I've had um, during the pandemic, I had a group of 12 mutual aid interns and we did all kinds of cool stuff. Um, they worked in my garden and I traded them classes and we filmed and um we filmed a two-hour affinity group medic training, which we hope to um, make a bit more readily available for those is the height of the Black Lives Matter movement protests. We really felt that was important to get the information out there, just how to be a protester medic, mm-hmm. not a street medic, but an affinity group medic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, what else? Yeah, I'm just got my nose to the grindstone trying to um, punch out this uh, Southwest School Botanical Medicines website and get that out there in the world again. Yeah, that's already a a great resource and sounds like it's going to be even better and a little more simplified. Yeah, we've put all of his lectures on YouTube, so those are going to be more accessible. And then a lot of his lectures from the Southwest Conference on Naturopathic Medicine, Mm -hmm. those are going to be all accessible for free. So incredible that's that's a good resource yeah that's amazing thank you so much for all of that i'm super super duper excited to connect with 
all of that and share that with the masses. Um, before we go, is there any one last thing you want to say to anybody out there? Um, Words of wisdom from Greta? <laughs> well, it's this, like there's one thing I was thinking about, like we still are not allowed to use the term apothecary unless like you have a business, unless you're supervised by a licensed pharmacist who's like also physically present. So just thinking about this fact that, you know, we still have these oppressive frameworks to kind of keep us underground. And, um, you know, I still like kind of hide when I'm out wild crafting for some plants. I don't let people see me with my shovel. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, but I'm comfortable there now just being, you know, we are sort of somewhat in the shadows and, and we're coming, we're still coming up from underground from a long history of suppression and oppression. Um, so I don't fully feel comfortable myself being fully out there yet. And sometimes I'm kind of shocked at how you know people have this kind of carefree attitude about advertising themselves as herbalists. And I don't know, I, I'm like suspect we could easily get, you know, what for some of what we saw during the last president, like um, definitely put some fear in my heart as far as like how, how freely we could potentially continue to do this work. Um and my advice I would want to share is just, you know, process the plants, handle the plants yourself, get out in nature and spend time observing, um, really tune in to the, to the native natural world and um, make sure you also have other healing skills or certifications to fall back on. If you, if you ha expect to make a career out of herbalism, bodywork has really been my bread and butter to take me through the lean times when I wasn't making money as an herbalist. So I really think that an herbalist can be in every community, should be supported by their community, mm -hmm. that mutual aid aspect. Yeah, those are great words of wisdom. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Greta. Yeah, <laughs> you're amazing. Yeah. It's great to be with you. Yeah, you too. Have a beautiful rest of your day. I will. Thanks. You as well. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of The Herbalist Path. Being on this journey with you is absolutely incredible. If you dig this episode, please leave me a review on your favorite podcast player and share it with your friends so that together we can make herbalism hashtag spread like wildflowers. On another note, I must mention that while I know you're getting some good info here, it's important to remember that this podcast is purely for entertainment and educational purposes and is not intended to be a substitute for medical treatment. While the information in this podcast is absolutely relevant, herbs work differently for each person and each condition. That's why I recommend you work with a qualified practitioner, whether that be another herbalist, a naturopath, or your doctor. So thank you again. I am truly honored that you're tuning into these episodes and on the path with me to make sure that there's an herbalist in every home again. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends so that we can make herbalism. Hashtag spread like wildflowers. take a quick pause to show some love and gratitude to our sponsors of the Herbalist Path podcast who make this show possible for me and possible for you too. So here it goes. 
Medicinal mushrooms are all the rage these days, if you didn't know already. And with great reason, because they are powerful medicine that can improve your health and your life in so many different ways, when they're well-made. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot of stuff on the market that isn't going to be so effective. And that's why you need to find a brand that you can actually trust. For me, that brand is Whole Sun Wellness. And this is the creation of a brilliant woman and fellow mama, Jamie Bonfiglio. She's an international mushroom educator that has been working in the medicinal mushroom industry for years. And this is when she saw firsthand how many other companies take shortcuts when it comes to their products. And Jamie wasn't having it. She set out to build her company the right way. Whole Sun Wellness is here to raise the industry standards so those crap mushrooms on the market aren't getting into your body or your family's body. Whole Sun Wellness is the first company to test and report nutritional facts for all of their extracts. They go beyond industry standards every step of the way, from sourcing to extraction and final testing. And as the owners of the largest medicinal mushroom farm in the United States, Whole Sun Wellness is taking control of their supply chain for the highest quality and absolute full transparency. They're even the first company to include pure mycelium extract in every single product. So when you're thinking of getting medicinal mushrooms for you and your family, Whole Sun Wellness is exactly the ones you want. Also, be sure to check out their new Mycolites. These are the world's first dissolvable electrolyte tablets. They're featuring functional mushroom extracts that'll give you more energy, more stamina, and recovery as well. And who couldn't use all of that? The other thing is, they are these adorable little mushroom-shaped tablets, and they come in like a little Altoids box, but way cooler than Altoids because they're mycolites. Anyways, head to wholesunwellness.com to grab yourself some mycolites and all of the other functional medicinal mushrooms that you and your family need. And of course, you can grab that link right here in the show notes now. 